Welcome to the WPC Sermon Podcast from Westminster Presbyterian Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. This week's sermon is from Head Pastor Owen Stepp, titled, Live Together, and teaches us how to live together as the people of God. To find more information on our worship services and live stream, check out our website, westminstercharlotte.org. Now enjoy this week's message from Pastor Owen. Today's scripture reading is from Colossians 3, 8 through 17. But now you must get rid of all such things, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive language from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have stripped off the old self with its practices and have clothed yourself with the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge according to the image of its creator. In that renewal, there is no longer Greek or Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free, but Christ is all and in all. As God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bear with one another, and if anyone has a complaint against another, forgive each other, just as the Lord has forgiven you, so that you also must forgive. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in the one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Teach and admonish one another in all wisdom. And with gratitude in your hearts, sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to God. And whatever you do in word and deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You know, it's an important season for us uh, as we're kind of re-emerging on the backside of this COVID season to really think about where we are as a congregation and what God is calling us to be and to do in this next season of life. It's an important thing for us to remember that our church has a mission. We have a mission because God has a mission that never changes, to reconcile his children, to bring them home, to bring them home to himself. It's important for us to keep this out front because oftentimes one of the temptations for us is to think about all the other stuff that we do at church, right? There's a lot of stuff we do at church, but we could lose sight of the mission of the church, which is God-given for us in every season of life. It's important to remember what the church is for. Nikki Gumbel was the founder of the Alpha Course. Some of you may be familiar with the Alpha Course. It's an introduction to the Christian faith. He's a minister in England. And hundreds of thousands of people have been through the Alpha Course and come to Christ because of that ministry. But I heard him speak once, and he was talking about the mission of the church. And he said that the church is comparable to those disciples that Jesus found when they were fishermen, and he called them to follow him. They hadn't been catching anything in their nets, so they were on the banks there cleaning their nets. And in his lovely English accent... Nikki Gumbel says, cleaning nets is a fine thing to do, but it's not what nets are for. 
And so there are a lot of things that we do as a church that are lovely things to do, but we always need to come back to the core mission and purpose. Why did God put us here? Why did God call us together on this corner at this time to fulfill his mission? There's a tendency for us to have what, what's called drift, right? Vision drift, where you start out on a journey and you know where you're going and you know you're how you're going to get there and everything is dialed in. But just, just kind of as time goes along, you tend to drift as distractions come our way. It happens in the vision of organizations like businesses and churches. It happens to us as individuals as well. And it's somewhat analogous to the way our physical vision tends to wane over time. I went to the eye doctor a few years ago for the first time, and he asked why I was there, and I said, because I don't see as well as I used to. He said, up close or far away? I said, yes. <laughs> he said, how old are you? And I said, well, I'm 45. And he goes, that's how it goes. He says, once you get over 40, you start to develop what's called presbyopia. I thought, how do you know I was a Presbyterian minister? <laughs> Turns out it doesn't have anything to do with that. But it's a condition that just takes over, over time and wear on our lives. And our vision just kind of gets a little more blurry and a little less focused. It's true for our church as well as for our individual lives. But vision keeping is something important for us to do as a family. Spending time in reflection and, and detachment from the busyness of everyday stuff so that we can be refocused on the really important stuff, the reasons why God has placed us here, and who God is calling us to be in this moment of our history together. This kind of exercise is a clarification for us, and it keeps us from living those kind of lives that people might come to later on and say, what have I accomplished in my life? What have I really done? Or maybe churches after decades might look back and say, what have we done for the kingdom of God? We've gotten together a lot, but what, has we, what have we accomplished? That's why we're spending this time on the vision that we believe God has for Westminster. Inviting people to life in Christ, live together for the sake of others. We began last week by talking about what it looks like to invite people to life in Christ. And this week we move to life together, which is one, um, one modifier almost of that first primary mission that we have. The Christian life is meant to be lived in community. It's meant to be lived together. We saw a manifestation of this in our midst this morning as we welcome new covenant partners. We will see another manifestation visibly in a few weeks when a child is baptized and brought into the family of God in a visual way. The salvation that Christ gives is not just about getting individual souls into heaven, but about joining them and uniting them through Christ with the family of God. That's a big deal. Perhaps one of the weaknesses of 20th century evangelicalism was that it overemphasized the personal relationship of experience in salvation and understated the union in Christ 
that brings us together with God and one another in a collective sense. And friends, in 2021, let me say that I do believe that this gift of doing life together, of life in Christ together, is a gift that the church can uniquely bring to a world that desperately needs it. Even before COVID, we saw that loneliness and isolation were nearing epidemic levels. And certainly over the course of the past year, we have seen that trend accelerating all around us. Even governments are figuring this out. Early in 2018, this is beyond, before COVID even, right? The UK, United Kingdom, appointed a minister of loneliness in their cabinet. The New York Times reports research is showing that loneliness can be more deadly to your health than smoking 15 cigarettes a day. And another recent study showed that 200,000 elderly people in Britain had not had a conversation with a friend or relative in over a month. But it's not just older people. University students report feeling very alone because they feel rejected or they don't fit in. Indeed, in June of 2020, there was a polling that showed that fully one quarter of young adults in their 20s and 30s had seriously contemplated taking their own lives in the past month. Loneliness, isolation, and what's going to save us from this? Social media, the creators of community, the reality that we're finding with that is that it does quite the opposite. Rather than creating community that gives meaning and life to people's lives, it leaves us more sad and isolated and depressed than we were to begin with. The church must have something to offer to a world with these needs. It's life together. Life together that is not merely rooted in affinity, uh, common affinities, or in ge geographies around one another, or even rooted in our ethnicities. It is made into the family of God. We have a need to belong with other people. These flesh and blood relationships that have been highlighted by their absence in the past year show us something important about ourselves. Beyond just going along to get along with these other people around us, beyond just dressing up to play the part that we think we're supposed to play, we long to genuinely be in relationship with sisters and brothers in the community that matter. And being part of the family of God is a unique bond. It's different and distinct from other clubs that you might join, right? We're not just kind of doing a religious version of the Rotary Club here. We're not just doing a Sunday morning version of the Country Club. Living together in the church gives us a far deeper sense of identity and responsibility for the life for which God has created and called us. The New Testament in particular is full of language about how we live together as the people of God. You know, have you heard about the one another's in the New Testament? You know how many one another's there are in the New Testament? There are 59 one another's in the New Testament. 
You heard some of them this morning. Love one another, forgive one another, bear with one another, encourage one another. Why is it that you think that Jesus and the Apostle Paul both had to keep on bringing these things back up to one another, each other? It's probably because there's a tendency within us to not one another, one another. There's a tendency inside of us that instead of loving one another, we tend to love ourselves a little bit more. Instead of forgiving one another, we tend to hold a grudge. Instead of bearing with one another when the times get hard, we tend to break rank and fall away and choose to walk somewhere else. Rather than encouraging one another, too often we're critiquing and gossiping about one another. Our inclinations and our cultural trends push us toward an individualistic and self-absorbed idea that is our approach to life. Jesus talked about this. Do you remember when he was talking about the way that people in the world use power? He said, you know how they are. They lord it over the others so that they get their way. And do you know what Jesus turned to his disciples when he described that method of power? And he said to them, not so with you. He said, I know how everybody else is doing it. I know how everybody else is living. I know how you have been living to this point. It shall not be so with my disciples. And I believe that's exactly the same thing that he would say to these Christians in Colossae and to us as well. People around us will be grabbing for power. They will be grabbing for influence. They will be grabbing for their own sense of happiness, however they define that. And we might be tempted to follow that as well. But the Lord Jesus says to us, not so with you. Not so with you. He has a different idea, a new community, that rather than trying to influence others for our own benefit and power, the first are the last. We receive not that we might be lifted up, but that we might kneel and serve. Why? Because Jesus came, and that's exactly what he did. It's the restored intent of our Father in heaven for his family. And it looks like this. Whoever wants to be great must be the servant of all, because that's what the greatest did, our Lord Jesus Christ. That's what life together looks like. One of the things that I love about the New Testament is that everybody in the New Testament is a first-generation Christian. They all started out as something else. The New Testament is them kind of figuring it out, right? What it means to follow, to be the family of God, what it means to follow Jesus together when they come from these crazy different backgrounds. And you can see it here in Colossians that we read this morning, that people from different ethnic backgrounds and different languages and different religious practices, all these walls of division. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? But what does Paul write? 
He says, now you must get rid of all these things. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive language from your mouth. Don't lie to each other, he says. See that you have stripped off the old self with its practices and have clothed yourself with the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge according to the image of its creator. And verse 11 is where it really starts to get good. He says, in that renewal, there is no longer Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, and free. But hear this, Christ is all and is in all. There is the foundation of our fellowship that is beyond anything we create. Christ is all and is in all. What does that mean? I have no idea. Some idea. There's a mystery there. The fellowship that we enter into in living together is not something we just work really hard at so we can make it happen. It's a gift that Jesus gives to us as his family that we then receive and live into. Focus on this one reality that Christ is all and is in all. And then the divisions that seem so stark and so uh, unable for us to overcome by our human eyes and our human efforts start to pale in comparison to the one who has united us by his blood on the cross. Our identities are in him. Now those divisions are real. Those things that separate us from one another are real, but when they are cast in the light of the Son of God and what He has done for us and what He promises to do in uniting us to one another through Himself, they pale in comparison. This is the new reality of being in Christ. For these in the church at Colossae, they no longer took their identities from the places from which they came, whether that was Jew or Greek or barbarian or Scythian, whatever that is, rich or poor, their identity was now in Christ. And so in this age of exclusion and division that we inhabit, do you think the church has something that we might invite people into? Something that might seem miraculous even. If our race or our politics or our wealth is giving us our identity today, we have missed what it is to be in Christ, and we have worshiped idols. Our only identity, as the Apostle Paul says, is that we be named in Christ together with our sisters and brothers. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, in his great book, Life Together, which might be one of our book club books this summer, talks about what the purpose of Christian community is. And he said that in Christian community, we meet one another as bringers of salvation. I become your brother because of what Christ has done for me. And you become my sister, my brother, because of what Christ has done for you. This all life together has its own behaviors and rhythms that are rooted in what? Christ, who is all and is in all. 
Paul writes here, clothe yourselves with compassion and kindness and humility and meekness and patience. Bear with one another. And if anyone has a complaint against another, forgive each other, just as the Lord has forgiven you, so also you must forgive. Those verses sound oddly like Jesus, don't they? One of my favorite phrases is bear with one another. It recognizes the reality that life together isn't always fun and it isn't always easy. I mean, if we can have some real talk for a minute, sometimes marriage isn't fun or easy, right? One of my favorite folks in our church in Atlanta, they had, they, the couple had their 50th anniversary. And I said, Tina, could you just share with everybody what's the secret to getting to the 50th anniversary? And she said, in the way that I love about her, she said, we decided to stay married. <laughs> Bear with one another, right? In the midst of conflict and disagreement and hurt even sometimes, whether it's our marriages or our church life together, if we're really bumping up against each other all the time, there are going to be times when that's not so good. But how do we get through those times? How does Paul say to the church at Colossae, he says, you can forgive but only because you have first been forgiven. You forgive as Christ has first forgiven you. That's what he's done for us, and that's the gift that we share with one another. Christ is all and in all, and we are going to be like him. That's how the fellowship becomes powerful and real. Further along, this life together is shaped by Christ himself, and as Paul says, letting the word of Christ dwell in us richly as we encourage one another in the family of God. The word of God is at the heart of our fellowship because it dwells within us the more and more we are conformed to the one who has given us that very word. And as we sing songs and hymns and spiritual songs together, we are living the reality of what Jesus has created in us by the power of the Holy Spirit. Not something that we have conjured up or labored up in our own lives, but just a gift we have received by the grace of Jesus that we graciously are allowed to live into. But this life together doesn't happen by accident. It will not continue to do so because the world of distractions is all around us and the glittery and shiny things will only grow in number and in volume as we move forward. Growing together takes priority. It takes intentionality. And yes, it takes time. It takes the intent of showing up time after time after time, over and over again, saying yes to the fellowship of God's family, even as that requires that we might say no to some of the other distractions that are very enticing toward us. In that way, it is like the other spiritual practices that we talked about during Lent. We receive the gift of Christ as the fruit of the attention that we spend over time. 
It requires of us that we serve one another. And thus it is no human invitation that we give to one another and to the world around us because it's no human invitation that we first received from the Lord. It's the divine invitation that we first received to live together as the family of God and to share that invitation with those who are around us. We teach one another, love one another, bear with one another, forgive one another, encourage one another, because that's what Jesus has first done for us, and that is the community he has created in this family. On Friday morning, we had a great time at the men's breakfast. Uh, the first one we've had, the first one I've ever been to, 13 months since the last one. And I had an opportunity to share a little bit of my story and where I've come from. And at each chapter along the way, each place where I have lived during the course of my life, I thought of an individual person who had pointed me to Jesus. And so I wrapped kind of each chapter with, they pointed me to Jesus. And as we came to the end of our time together, I asked the guys around the table to share with one another, who's somebody at some point in your life that pointed you to Jesus? And as they shared around those tables for five minutes or so, we came back together and said, now we have told about other people who have pointed us to Jesus. We have heard how important it is in these other men's lives of the people that pointed them to Jesus. As we leave this place, be that guy. Be that person, be that woman. Be that one who somebody else is going to look back on their life and say, they were the one that pointed me to Jesus. They were the one who drew me into the family of God. It's part of what it means to be part of a covenant partner in this fellowship. We have to pour ourselves into the relationships with others. We have so many incredible uh, adults and volunteers that can pour into the lives of our students and our kids, and we need to be attentive toward that as the family of God. But just showing up for worship and for learning and for prayer over and over and over again begins to become the glimpse of the kingdom, the foretaste of glory divine, the gift of Jesus that we receive not individually but together as his family. Let me pray for us. Lord, I thank you that you were that person for us. That we can know what it looks like to love one another, to forgive one another, to bear with one another, to encourage one another. We know what that looks like because that's what you have given to us. And so, God, we pray that you would help us to invite others to that feast as well. That we would open your table for those who are strangers, for those who are wandering and lost. That we would open our fellowship and that people might indeed know that we follow you because of the way we love one another. Help us to give this invitation as a lifeline to people in such need and isolation and loneliness, that we might be drawn not toward ourselves, but toward you, our Lord and our God. Thank you for the gift of your fellowship in your body 
In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us for this week's message from Pastor Owen. If you'd like to find out more about our church or view a video of the full service, visit our website, westminstercharlotte.org. We look forward to seeing you soon.